It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Like saving bees, you should become a beekeeper. Like saving money on auto and renter's insurance, you should call Wawanisa. If you're a good driver, you should pay less money on car insurance. Great rates for good drivers. It's the Wawanisa way. Call 877-WAWANESA. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. I'm your host, Brendan. Not with me today is Corey. Corey has other responsibilities, but you know what? He's been so kind and filling in for me and going solo when I've been out. I have to return the favor. And like, let's be realistic here. You guys want to hear me. You don't want to hear Corey as much as you want to hear me. I'm the one who gives you incredible series previews. And my series recaps, gotta say, pretty good. So I'll be filling in today for Corey. We'll talk about that Washington game. We're going to talk about that Red Series. We're going to talk about where the Cubs are in relation to the Brewers, whether or not I'm panicking. We're going to talk about Pedro Strope. Yes, that Pedro Strope who is going to be out for the remainder of the regular season. And we'll discuss Hayward coming back. Morrow probably is going to be back soon. Schwarber's back is healing up. There's a lot of things to talk about here. But before we get into this, just a programming note. I'm going to take Corey's thunder here as well. We have moved to a new host called Spreaker. We are formerly on Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio has transitioned to this new source that we call Spreaker. So the Blog Talk feed does not update anymore. And of course, you guys can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, you name it, we're on there. iHeartRadio even. 
So if you can't find us for whatever reason, please let me know on Twitter at Cubs Related. We should be there. So if you're not finding us, I can help. So let's recap these four games. So the game on Thursday in Washington, (laughs) surprisingly, they ended up flying there, which I still cannot believe Major League Baseball allowed the Cubs to do. But to the Cubs' grittiness and their resilience, they did not care. Rizzo boarded that plane in full uniform to Washington. He came back from Washington to Chicago in that same uniform. The Cubs did what they needed to do. They won 4-3. to three. Uh, Mike Montgomery started that game, and he pitched pretty well. All things considered, traveling, coming back from injury, he went four innings. He gave up two runs. He walked run. He struck out. Too. So it's, he didn't get a quality start. He didn't go deep. But again, against a Nationals lineup that's not the worst, things could have been worse for Mike. And that game was basically the game of bullpens. So who else did we see? We saw Jesse Chavez. We saw Carl Edwards Jr., Steve Cizek, Brian Dunsing, Justin Wilson, Randy Rosario, and of course, Pedro Strobe, all in that 10-inning contest. That game, though, offense provided by no one else but Javi Baez. Javi goes three for five. He has three RBIs. He hits a home run and basically supplies all the runs and scores the game-winning run off of a Victor Caratini single in the 10th inning. The real topic of discussion here is obviously what happened to Pedro Strobe. Pedro Strobe comes comes into the game in the 8th inning. He gets an out, comes back off the ninth inning, shuts him down. The Cubs go to extras, tied 3-3. They get their run in the top of the 10th. Now the bases are loaded with one out, and Joe Madden has to decide, do you pinch it for Strope here and go with Randy Rosario, or do you have Strope take the at-bat, one out, bases loaded, in order to have Strope come back off the 10th and lock the game down? What does Joe do? He ends up having Pedro Strope take that at-bat, grounds into a double play. He comes up limping on first base, looked as if he almost beat it out and hit a laser to third base. But Strope ends up leaving the game. Again, the Cubs go on to win that game 4-3. to They immediately fly back to Chicago to face the Reds in a three-game set. If you were listening to Jed, or Jed, to Len and JD, during the series, you would have heard dead ball era thrown around in reference to the dead ball era when there was a lot of small ball, few homers, not that many balls leaving the infield, because that's what it felt like this three-game set against the Reds. In the first game, Cole Hamels would take the mound and face Matt Harvey, who was excellent, and so was Cole Hamels. Cole would give up two runs, strike out seven, walk two, and six and two-thirds innings. He would leave the game down two to nothing in the bottom of the seventh. However, Ian Happ comes up, slugs an oppo laser to left field to put the Cubs up three to two, a three-run homer, and that would all be necessary for Jorge De La Rosa, who closes out the game after Jaime Garcia gets the hold. We saw also Dylan Maples, he gets to win after he relieved Cole Hamels in the seventh inning. Basically, that was almost more or less half the offense the Cubs would even score in the series. And then on Saturday, they would win the game one to nothing on four hits. John Lester started this game, was incredible, a phenomenal effort. John goes seven innings, 
approaching 110 pitches. He strikes out nine guys. He only walks two, only gives up two hits. Just really phenomenal stuff from him. Cody Reed on the other side for the Reds. He went five innings, struck out 10, walked two. Got to say, as a power lefty, pretty impressed by his stuff. The only run of the game would come from, you guessed it, Javi Baez. And guess who would actually knock in the game-winning run? Wilson Contreras, a little tiny, you know, choke up, two strike count, little chopper to the right side, sneaks through. Javi would score, and that would secure the Cubs' third straight win in as many days. It put them up above the Milwaukee Brewers by two and a half games. And then on Sunday, the Cubs would lose two to one. They had several opportunities, could not get it in. Uh, some poor base running mistakes by Daniel Murphy. This game was started by Jose Quintana, who actually, I thought, pitched pretty well, all things considered. He goes five innings. He strikes out seven guys, which is why I think he pitched well. Got a lot of whiffs today. He did, however, walk three guys. He gave up two solo shots, one of whom was the leadoff hitter of the game for the Reds, uh, Scott Shebler, and then uh, Irvin for the Reds followed up later on in, in, in the fourth inning to put the Reds up 2 nothing. The Cubs, like I said, did have their opportunities. Actually, in the fifth inning, Wilson Contreras came up with Addison Russell on first base with one out. Contreras smacks a deep shot, probably the furthest ball we've seen him hit since before the, <laughs> before the All-Star break. The ball grazes the Ivy on a fly to deep center. Wilson Contreras thinks it's gone. He walks to first base. It hits off the Ivy. He sprints to second base, barely gets in time. Should have been out if Peraza knew where to throw the ball. But nevertheless, Wilson was on second base, Addison Russell on third base, and then Albert O'Mora comes up. He hits a sacrifice fly, but that would be it. The Cubs would only score one run in that game, and they fell. The Brewers, however, also lost to the Pirates that day, 2-3. to three. And so the Cubs remain two and a half games up on the division, going to Arizona for this upcoming three-game set against the Diamondbacks. So first things first, look, we, we got to get into it. Pedro Strope will be out for the remainder of the regular season. He had a was diagnosed as a moderately strained hamstring. And as we all know, he did this by sprinting to first base in an attempt to beat out a double play against that Washington game. Um, a lot of heat has been placed on Joe's shoulder for, one, letting Pedro Strope hit, and two, even allowing him to swing the bat at the plate. So I think, look, there's many ways you can look at this as well. For me, it's a devastating injury. I talked exhaustively about my concerns with Brandon Morrow missing all this time and what the Cubs bullpen would look like come October. And fortunately, Justin Wilson stepped up, Jesse Chavez has stepped up, and Steve Seizure continues to do his thing. But I wanted a healthy Morrow back, but if he were not to come back, then having Strope was, in my mind, uh, an acceptable consolation prize, if you will. Strope is gone. So in my mind, we have no Strope, and we're probably going to have to endure or wait and see how Morrow could actually come back and pitch with this elbow injury. So it's not ideal. 
The criticism of Joe Madden, though, I mean, Corey and I have talked a ton about our appreciation of Joe and how we respect how he's managed all these young guys and playing time. And the, the proof is in the pudding. He's gone to three straight consecutive NLCSs. He's won a World Series. He's the only Cubs manager with this many wins through his first four seasons. He's done a phenomenal job, and I, for the most part, agree with a lot of things Joe does. And this is also one of those moments where, yes, I understand the controversy, but I I kind of get what he was doing with Strope there. So let's review kind of specifically where they were in just the grand scheme of things during that Washington game. They were in the midst of a losing streak. They were only one game up of Milwaukee Brewers at the time. And they had they they more or less had that win right in their finger grasp. All Strope needed to do was get three more outs, and the game would have been over. So in Madden's view, he's thinking about this. He's thinking, okay, if I pinch hit Strope here in the bottom of the eighth inning with the bases loaded and one out, let's say I put Tommy Lastella into hit, and Tommy gets a sack fly, and he's up, and the Cubs are up five to three. And that will be the score going into the bottom half of the inning. Now, despite being up 5-3, to three, are you full-heartedly going to convince yourself that you're comfortable with Randy Rosario closing out that game? And I know he did, and kudos to him. He's been put in a lot of high-leverage situations in the past, and he successfully maneuvered his way out of it. But with the Nationals' heart of the order coming up, And having Randy Rosario, who's not pitched that well recently, who's been up and down in Iowa recently, for him to get those outs is less probable probable than Pedro Strope getting those outs and having the bat, or better yet, just winning the game. Pedro Strope staying in that game, taking that at-bat, coming out for the bottom half of the inning to close down the game, has a higher likelihood of succeeding than one, having Tommy LaStella come into a pinch hit, get the run home, and even if it's one run, right? One run does make a difference, but again, Randy Rosario. So having Joe Madden hit successfully with Tommy LaStella and then Randy Rosario closing out the game, it's a little bit riskier. And I, and I think the math actually does shape up to be like that. You have to assume that the probability Tommy gets that run in is around 50%. Not, it's a coin flip. And then it's even a worse probability for Rosario to get those three outs. So I get it. Now, after thinking about it more, I, I will admit, I kind of wish Strope was instructed to, hey, just take it easy. Don't swing the bat. Despite three straight pitches down the middle, if you strike out, you strike out. So be it. We just don't want you to take the hack. And I would have been fine with that. <laughs> there is a side of me that knows Strobe can hit the baseball well. He's done that in the past. He was drafted as a position player in the Rocky system. He was a shortstop, if I need to remind you. So he's an athlete, and he can hit the ball well. So I, I get it. And, and Strobe hit that ball to third base extremely hard, by the way. Unfortunately... He hurt his hamstring on that, and Joe was going to get a lot of criticism for it, and I understand it, and again, in my mind, I sort of wish 
Strope would have just been told not to swing, but I understand kind of why Joe was doing it. To assume that an athlete like Pedro Strope is going to hurt himself on this singular play is kind of paranoid, I guess. Uh, But again, I understand why you want to exert complete caution, so I get it. But at the end of the day, the decision to keep Strope in the game, in my mind, was 100% totally the correct decision to win that game and to keep the Cubs in a favorable position in the division. The other hand, I yes, I, I wish he just did not swing the bat. But I'm not going to criticize the coaching staff for trying to win the game and not thinking like, hey, this athlete like Pedro Strope could get injured swinging the bat. You just don't think like that. It's a hot topic. I get it. That's where I am. I understand all sides of things, but this is the reality of the situation, and Strope is going to be out uh, for probably the remainder of the the entire season. For him to come back in the postseason seems a little too ideal right now. He won't even be able to throw in rehab until the second week, second week of October, probably. So where does that leave us? Well, Right now, the Cubs have four relievers whom Joe trusts, and one of those four are at the fringe of that trust circle, if you will, and that's C.J. Edwards or Carl Edwards Jr. As it stands, Joe probably will go to Steve Cizek, Justin Wilson, and Jesse Chavez to close down games. If Carl does come back and shows his capabilities and shows he can pitch the way he has for most of the year, then you can insert Carl kind of into the high leverage guy, maybe in between Steve Cizek or Justin Wilson or even Carl closing out games. I, I know right now it's not the most comfortable thought to think about, but he does possess the skill set and the overall talent to get batters out consistently. It's not ideal, but I do want to point back to how the Astros last year maneuvered themselves through the playoffs. And they did so without a closer and basically without a bullpen in general. I I, I said this in a few episodes ago, but the Astros bullpen without Ken Giles came down to only one really reliable pitcher. And he wasn't even that Great to begin with. The reason why the Astros could close out games is because their starting pitching depth was incredible. They could call upon Lance McCullers Jr. They could call upon Charlie Morton, and they did that. They kind of they they basically piggybacked a lot of these guys in those World Series games to secure the championship. So it takes some creativity, but the way the Cubs' starting rotation looks right now, they have five guys who are. Pitching pretty well, and that includes Mike Montgomery, who, to be honest, like I know the numbers don't look sparkly right now in his few recent starts, but overall, he's pitched pretty well since returning from injury. And to have Cole Hamels continue doing what he's been doing, you have five arms, not even starters, relievers, just five good pitchers that you can go to. So if we get to a point in the NLCS, or in the World Series, like, don't be surprised if you see Montgomery coming in for three, four innings, piggybacking Cole Hamels Jr., and kind of figuring it out on the way. 
And Jesse Chavez can go multiple innings as well. And we've seen John Lester come into games twice in the postseason, relieving the starter, both of whom were actually Kyle Hendricks. So it's it's happened. And I think the Cubs can get through the postseason with Steve Cizek, Justin Wilson, Carl Edwards Jr., however you want to throw them out there. They they have arms to do it. It's going to be difficult. Obviously, having Morrow and Strobe in there, it, it secures things. It lowers your margin of error. But once a team gets to the playoffs, I'm not saying it's a coin flip, but there's so much randomness that happens in this sport. Like a five-game series, crazy stuff can happen. A seven-game series, crazy stuff can happen. The Cleveland Indians in 2016 should have been nowhere near that Cubs team should have been nowhere near a Game 7, given the Cubs' talent, their bullpen, their lineup, their rotation. that They were superior almost in every way to the Indians outside of maybe that bullpen with Andrew Miller and Shaw and Cody Allen. But having Chapman and those guys was not bad either. But the point being, you get into the playoffs Crazy stuff can happen, and I think seeing Montgomery come into a game, seeing Carl get back on track, you have guys to call upon to relieve the starters. And by the way, the the starting rotation has been excellent over the past few weeks. Joe said himself, like, the first half the bullpen picked up the rotation, now the rotation's picking up the bullpen, and that's 100% true. We're seeing John Lester return to form. Quintana continues to put together a string of quality starts. I think he's looked the best I've seen him look over the past, what, even entire baseball season, if I'm being honest. Hendricks looks like his former self, and Cole Hamels looks like the Justin Verlander of last year when the Astros acquired him. So this this rotation still, if they continue to pitch well, like it's a strong rotation, guys. And this team is getting healthy, too. Jason Hayward is going to be back this upcoming series against the Diamondbacks. He was actually activated in that last game against the Reds, just didn't come off the bench. Hayward has missed a, about two weeks with a hamstring injury, but his presence back in the in the lineup, both defensively and even at times offensively, will be a welcome addition. Now, before he was injured, we were seeing Hayward in center field, actually, a little bit more often, so how the team will look when Hayward comes back. I'm thinking we're going to see a little bit more of him like we did before in center field. And so what does that do? Well, it may restrict playing time for Albert Almora, may restrict playing time for Ian Happ. It may allow Daniel Murphy to continue to get at bats if, for example, Joe Madden wants to keep Zobrist in the lineup. How does he do that? He puts Zobrist in right field. He puts Murphy at second base. He put Hayward in center field. And then given the matchup and the health, you can put KB or Schwarber in left field. You put Baez at third base or shortstop, Bodie at third base. You guys kind of get the idea. A lot of different iterations, but it comes down to me. What do you want Hayward to do? Are you anticipating him being an offensive force? Or do you want to just go in to these games going and doubling down on defense? If you do that... Then we got a conversation here with with Daniel Murphy. So Murphy's been struggling mightily. His overall line since coming to the Cubs is something like 11 hits and about 62 at-bats. 
just not good. Uh, Evan Altman wrote a terrific piece on Cubs Insider about his struggles. Most recently, he's whiffing at an all-time high. He's striking out consecutive games at an all-time high. Like This is not the same Daniel Murphy we saw in the first few weeks with the Cubs. Definitely not the same Daniel Murphy we saw with the Mets and the Nationals over the course of the last few seasons. So Joe Madden has a, a few decisions to make. Uh, it's not as if David Bodie or Addison Russell have been playing exceptional as well. But at the very least, you know, with those two, you're going to get good defensive value, especially with Addison Russell, given his sample size and his body of work over the last four baseball seasons. You just feel a little bit more confident knowing you're going to get something out of Russell, even if it's not offensive related. So what does that mean? Well, if you want to kind of go with the defensive lineup and still maybe maximize some offense, uh, you can keep Javi at shortstop, and then you can put Bodie at second base. You can put, uh, put KB in left field, and then when Schwarber comes back, which we don't really know. It sounds as if he can be back in Arizona, but nothing's for certain. If you want to kind of mix and dabble here, you can put Schwarber in left field. You can put Hayward in center field and Zobris in right. And so you have a really strong defensive core up the middle with Javi, Bodie, and Hayward. If you want to get even a little crazier in your mind, you can go ahead and you can take out Schwarber, put KB in left field, Put Bodie at third base, Javi at second base, and Addison Russell at shortstop. All of these scenarios are excluding Daniel Murphy in the lineup. It's a tough situation. I think the ideal outcome for me, if I'm pegging in a lineup tomorrow, despite Murphy struggling, we know the offensive potential. Like, I mean, we've seen it in the past. You don't need to be reminded of it. To get Murphy going ahead of these playoffs, if the Cubs can even secure this division, they're going to make the playoffs. But if they can even secure this division, getting Murphy ahead for the NLDS would be monumental in my eyes. And and seeing Addy, the swings, guys, just uh, it hurts me to say it, but they're just they're not there. Like this is not the Addison Russell we saw in 2016, and for a, a good portion of even 2017 when he was healthy. Something something is going on with his hand. Even when he takes a few swings, his bottom hand is coming off the bat. And that suggests something's wrong. Uh, so I, I think I'd rather see Murphy kind of continue to get some of the majority of the at-bats. Overall, given Hayward actually is healthy, I kind of want to see him in center field going forward. Uh, I think you have to keep Ben in the lineup, Zobris that is, as much as possible, hopefully you can manage his overall age, the, the the injuries he's dealt with in the past. You don't want him his health to be a risk whatsoever. But if you keep him in right field, you can put Zobris in center field, and then you can keep Murphy in the lineup, which, again, I think I really think that despite the struggles, it's necessary for his bat to get going. What does that mean? I'd like to see Zobris batting leadoff. I'd like to see Javi in the second spot. I'd like to see KB in the third spot. I'd like to see Rizzo batting cleanup. Schwarber, if he's healthy, or Murphy, if he's healthy, or gets back on track, that is. Hopefully he's not uh, injured. Having those two guys bat fifth and sixth, I think you can have Contreras 
that seventh for the time being, even though he's still looking shaky. And then the pitcher spot and then Hayward. Probably you can bat Contreras in the ninth spot as well. But again, this is all hypothetical. You know Joe is going to mix and match like he always does. You're not going to see a standard lineup. You probably will see Hap and Amora and Bodie and Russell and all these guys get some playing time just because we're in the stretch of this insane 30 straight days of scheduled games. You're going to see these guys play. But in, in with everything healthy and rested towards the end of the season, if they're still chasing down the division, that lineup might make the most sense. Okay, I want to talk about this entire 30-game stretch, the fatigue level, how Joe's handling it, and how the Cubs players are perceiving this. I came across an extremely interesting uh, quote by Ben Zobris that, that I forgot about. I remember it. I remembered it when I saw it, but it's been almost two years. I forgot he even mentioned it. So Ben Zobris was asked in the summer of 2016, his first year with the Cubs, the World Series year, if I need to remind you. And he was asked after the Cubs played 24 straight days about the schedule. And back then in 2016, in the midsummer, they played 24 straight days because of a rain uh, postponement. They added play 24 straight days. Sounds familiar, right? So this is what Zobra said about the 24 straight days back in 2016. He said, quote, this is really why we need to do something union-wise with this bargaining agreement. Even with makeup games, your body is not made to do that. Your mind is not made to do that. We've got to do better at taking care of players and making sure the fans get the best of those players when they're showcasing their abilities. When you're playing that many days, it ends up not being as much about excellence as it is about money and players' endurance. Continuing on. There are a lot smarter people than me that can figure out better solutions, but there are solutions. There's got to be, end quote. So there you go. That was 24 days. Now we're in 30 days. 30 straight days of scheduled games in the mid to tail end of September with the Cubs guys recovering from injuries, with KB recovering from a chronic shoulder injury, with Rizzo having dealt with back tightness that almost sidelined him for a month earlier in the year. Like, these are real troubling issues. And if we're going to talk about the future of how you schedule these games, using these as examples and using Ben Zobris quotes is what the players are thinking. Something has to give. This was completely irresponsible for baseball to go and schedule these games, not make up that Nationals game at the end of the season. But that's in the past. We have to talk about the effects of that now. And we're still seeing it. I mean, we're still absolutely seeing this, and they won't get a day off until next Thursday. So when you look at the bullpen and how Joe is making these decisions, it's easy to get frustrated with seeing Brian Dunsing warm up or seeing Dylan Maples get high-leverage spots, seeing Jaime Garcia in the game in the seventh inning or going multiple innings or seeing Jorge Taylor Rosa close out games. This is the card's that the Cubs were dealt, and it's unfortunate. But Joe is going to have to figure out a way to maneuver around this because even last year towards the tail end of the season and that Washington series, by the times the Cubs got to the Dodgers, they were, they were out of it. They were toasted. Their bullpen was toasted. They had to have John Lackey come in. I'm not going to remind you how that ended, but it was not well. 
And if the Cubs want to go into October deeply, we're going to have to see more guys like Jaime Garcia and Jorge De La Rosa continue to step up. Just the nature of the situation. But Morrow is coming back. He'll be activated. He'll hopefully pitch against the Diamondbacks in the upcoming series. Okay, let's have an honest discussion about our expectations for Brandon Morrow. I am a little pessimistic, if you will. I don't even think it's pessimistic because Joe Madden and even Theo Epstein said this. To expect that Morrow can come back and give you what he was doing before he was injured is unrealistic. Uh, Madden said he doesn't even see Morrow kind of going back into that closer role immediately, which is not surprising, but to expect that Morrow is going to be the same guy pre-July of this year is, is unrealistic. He may even have the same injury as you, Darvish. In, in a few weeks ago, Mark Gonzalez described the injury as a stress reaction. What did you, Darvish, have, have shoulders or have uh, surgery for? A stress reaction in his elbow. I don't see Morrow going multiple innings. I don't see Morrow going back-to-back days. I may see him once every other day or so, which is fine. That's a welcome addition to this bullpen who needs just more arms. But come playoff time, I'm still operating under the assumption that, one, Steve Cizek is your fireman. What do I mean by that? Well, one, he's gonna, he could be in the game in the highest of high risk, highest lever situations. May not even be the closer role. Maybe the seventh inning, maybe the eighth inning, but he's going to be in the game when the game dictates that the best pitcher in the bullpen needs to be pitching. I think that's the case because one, we've seen Joe kind of do that, but two, Cizek's whiff rate is among the best currently in the Cubs bullpen. So he gets a whiff uh, 29% of the time. Carl Edwards Jr. in a perfect world has a better rate. But recently, he hasn't gotten the same number of whiffs. I did a piece on this on Cubs Insider, actually, and I was blown away by this number. But over the last six weeks, guys, Carl Edwards Jr.'s whiff rate is almost half of what it was his entire career, okay? So normally, he gets around 37% whiffs. Really good, right? He only has been getting 21% over the last six weeks. That is not who Carl Edwards Jr. is at all. So again, going into the postseason, you kind of have to rely on Cesar to be your fireman. Given what we've seen with Wilson, I've been impressed. I think everyone else has been impressed. Uh, he continues to be put in high-level situations, continues first and foremost to throw strikes and get out of it. And then Jesse Chavez has been the most valuable reliever in Major League Baseball since the All-Star break, since he came over to the Cubs. That's because Joe Madden has utilized him more than any other reliever in Major League Baseball. And to his credit, Chavez has thrived. Morrow thrown into that mix. How do we envision Morrow? Well, if he can go once every three days, he could be that seventh inning guy. If he's throwing 98-99, he could be an eighth inning guy. Maybe he'll even close a game. But to expect him to close a game on consecutive days, I just don't see it happening. Okay, let's go ahead and preview this upcoming series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. As a bonus, I am going to preview the series for the Milwaukee Brewers against the Cincinnati Reds. We're at that point of the season. I think it makes sense to look ahead for both teams. So the Cubs, the first game will be Monday night at 8.40 p.m. Central Time. Kyle Hendricks will take the mound for the Cubs. 
He'll face Patrick Corbett for the Diamondbacks. Hendricks on the year's total record is 11-11, a 3.71 ERA. Patrick Corbin, 11-5, a 3.05 ERA. The second game of the series, the Diamondbacks have yet to announce a starter. However, Mike Montgomery has been slated in. He'll go for the Cubs, who's 4-5 with a 3.87 ERA. That game again starts at 8.40 p.m. Central Time. To finish off the three-game set, Cole Hamels will take them on for the Cubs. Hamels has been incredible, as we all know. His total line for the year, including his time with the Rangers, 9-9, a 3.67 ERA. The Cubs will face lefty Robbie Ray for the Diamondbacks, a 5-2 record, with a 4.41 ERA. Robbie Ray was one of the Diamondbacks' best pitchers in 2017. He's been shelved this year with injuries. That's taken away some of the starts, but still possesses really good stuff. Okay, now for the Brewers, they're going to have three games against the Reds at home against the Reds. Wade Miley will take the mound in that first game. He'll face Dusclafani for the Reds. I'm not going to read their overall records. You kind of get the idea. And then on Tuesday, Trace Anderson will face the, the Reds. For uh, the Reds will be uh, Lorenzen, who will come out of the bullpen for one start. In that third game, Gio Gonzalez will take the mound for the Brewers. He'll face Matt Harvey for the Reds. And just looking ahead, Milwaukee will then travel to Pittsburgh to face the Pirates. So that that's going to shape up the next week for the Cubs. Again, they're two and a half games up, but they're going to face a Diamondback team that's scuffling. So the Diamondbacks right now are 78-72. and 72. They're quickly falling out of the race with the Dodgers playing well, with the Rockies continuing to be in the race. And this is almost do or die for the Diamondbacks. If they don't come away with a series win, their odds of even getting a wild card spot are greatly decreased. So they're going to they're be throwing everyone else out there. Uh, expect to see guys like Archie Bradley go multiple innings. They're going to basically empty the gates here to try to get these wins. Cubs historically going to the West Coast has been a challenge for them. The fatigue level is probably the main contributor. They're still going to be fatigued. This will be, <laughs> what is this, the 25th straight day with a baseball game schedule this has got to be a major league record uh this might even be a cubs record dating back from decades ago that they're doing this just absolutely wild that they have to do this fortunately for the cubs though so after they go to arizona they're going to come back to chicago and play the white Sox. so that should be a relatively simple series but you never know it doesn't really get that much harder for the cubs after the white Sox, they'll face pittsburgh at wrigley field then the Cardinals will come to town to Wrigley. Tough team. They've been scuffling, but the fact the Cubs can stay at Wrigley is a big deal. And that's it, guys. That is uh that's the season. It's crazy to to look at the schedule, only see a, few, a handful of teams remaining, but that's kind of where we are at the point. Uh Fangrass projects playing time for the Cubs that I just don't necessarily agree with. Just going to that level. So they think that Schwarber is going to play 83% of these remaining games with Hayward playing in about half of them, Murphy playing in about 75% of them, and then Javi playing in about 78% of them as well. I don't necessarily think Schwarber will play in that many games given the back injuries, just given Hayward coming back and having to fit guys like Hap and Amora and Bodie, despite their struggles in a lineup to get some of them going. 
I don't really see that happening. Uh, but if that is the case, then the Cubs have a 99.9% probability of making the playoffs as ter- in terms of actually winning the division. They have an 86.7% chance probability. And that's where they are. Uh, it's, it's, we're, we're, we've gotten to the point where it's just when. The, the computers don't matter. The math doesn't matter. They're assuming consistent performance, and that's just not the case. But seeing just those handful of teams left, it kind of hits you, right? Like the season's almost over. And despite all the struggles that we've endured this year with KB being out and all the injuries, Darvish being out for the season, you still got to appreciate what this club has done. I mean, they have 87 wins. They're projected to finish with 95 wins. That's remarkable. Like That's absolutely insane that they can go with KB only hitting 11 homers and win this many baseball games. So keep that in mind. And also enjoy the remainder of, of these games. The postseason is going to be here before you know it. The Cubs have a great chance of at least playing for a wild card spot. They're going to be in the playoffs. Like That's wild. That's four straight years in the playoffs despite all these injuries. And for me, I've been guilty over the last few years of using instances like Brandon Morrow going down and Pedro Strope going down as reasons to kind of just damper expectations or assume the worst or assume the Cubs can't overcome that. And I actually thought that way even with Schwarber going down in 2016. I'm like, oh my God, how can they survive Schwarber and that bat out of the lineup in left field? They did. They got around it, and crazy stuff happens in the playoffs. The Cubs in 2016 only had Chapman in the bullpen. That's who it was. To win the World Series, they had to rely on C.J. Edwards and Mike Montgomery to close it down. They can do this. They have the offensive potential to do this. They're not hitting right now. I know that. They're not hitting right now, but they can do this. No one expected Hamels to be this good. He's doing it. He's filling in for Darvish. He's providing more value than what we could have imagined Darvish would provide. So you go into a playoff series, whomever it is, whether it's the Dodgers, whether it's the Rockies, whether it's the Brewers, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. This team is more talented. This team healthy is an incredible force. And if this team goes into the playoffs with only three relievers whom Joe can rely on consistently, then so be it. So be it. You can throw Montgomery. You can piggyback Lester, piggyback Hamels. You rely on one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball over the course of the year to step up and do their thing. That's playoff baseball. It's five games. A few bunts can change drastically the outcome of a series. You just never know. You got to sit back. You got to enjoy it. Maybe this is me projecting on you guys trying to talk myself into stuff like this, but that's where we are in the season. Other than that, that's all I got for you. So Corey and I will be back on recording after this series against the Diamondbacks, and we'll go from there. Of course, you can always find this podcast on CubsInsider.com and all of our feeds such as Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. You know the deal. iHeartRadio is the latest one. You guys can find us anywhere. And, of course, if you guys can leave us a five-star review on iTunes, it helps significantly just going on there now. We have almost like over or close to about 100 view or 100 um, reviews on iTunes. And we're one of the most listened to Chicago Cubs podcasts out there. That's remarkable. We thank you guys for helping us and, and giving us 
not only just good reviews, but helpful reviews. A lot of our shows have been geared towards some of the comments and suggestions you guys have, and we appreciate that. So anything you guys can do to continue to help us grow and reach other audiences and new people who are interested in us, we appreciate that. Thank you for listening, and go Cubs. Bet Saratoga from anywhere this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. Naira Bets players enjoy world-class HD live streaming covering races worldwide, instant replays, exclusive bonuses, and earn points on every bet. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Join today at nyrabets.com and make sure to use promo code SPA to earn your sign-up bonus up to $200. Kaiser is off the chain. Everything is in one place for you. Your x-ray will be done there. The doctor will see you there. The labs are there for you. And then the nurses that work with you at Kaiser, they make you feel so at home. They're there to meet your needs. I would not be alive today if I had not had Kaiser permanently. I feel really, really great knowing there's a place that I can go to make sure that I can maintain good health on a regular basis. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan, Middle Alliance, 2101, East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852.